Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, Morris on Riftwake. And today, this Halloween week, we shall be bringing you a pair of spooky episodes, starting today with Death and Dying. <laughs> All right. So for today, we're going to be talking about how Death and Dying works in D&D 5e. So uh, first off, uh, in D&D, or really any roleplay game, the objective of combat is to reduce whatever you're fighting down to zero hit points before they're able to do the same to you. But that's not the end of things, necessarily. So when you get down to zero hit points, you just fall unconscious. You don't directly die. So while you're unconscious, you're not able to take any kinds of actions or reactions in any form because you're unconscious. You drop your stuff, you fall prone, uh, all attacks against you get advantage. Uh, you would automatically fail all strength and dexterity saving throws. Also, arguably the worst thing that can happen to you while you're unconscious is that if a creature is within five feet of you and hits your unconscious self, it's considered an automatic critical hit, which is an automatic failure of two death saving throws. So what a death saving throw is, is a series of rolls that you do while you're unconscious to find out whether you bleed out or stabilize in your unconsciousness. Unfortunately, it is uh, if you succeed Actually, I should probably mention what you need to roll for a death saving throw. So a death saving roll, a death saving throw is a flat D20 that you have to roll when you start your turn while unconscious. If you roll a 10 or higher, you succeed. If you don't, you fail. If you get three successes, not having to be in a row, just three, you become stable. If you fail three, you die. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Uh, now, what is even more dangerous, if you get a one on your death saving throw, that is considered two automatic failures. If, as I mentioned uh, shortly ago, if somebody hits you while you're unconscious, it is automatic two death saving throw failures because it is an automatic critical hit. On the other hand, if you roll a 20 on a death saving throw, you automatically not just are stable, but actually regain a hit point and are conscious once again. Oh, that, isn't that typically like really muddy? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, I, it's a I, weird I, system, and maybe I should. I, I thought it was like you gain two. I thought you gain two or something. No, if you oh, roll a twenty, it's an automatic. Automatic, you regain a hit point oh, and are okay. conscious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then again, DNI is where I get most of my rules stuff. So muddle. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I should actually I should backtrack a little bit as well. While you're at zero hit points, there are three ways to get from zero hit points to all dead. When you're at zero, you're only mostly dead. But uh, when you're at zero hit points, three ways to go from mostly dead to all dead. If you get to the point of three failed death saving throws, 
you die if you take what is called massive damage you can also instantly die Inst- um sorry massive damage is where you take one source of damage that is in excess of your maximum hit point so let's say you've got a character with 20 hit points they're unconscious and they're hit for 18 damage they don't go to negative 18 there is no such thing as negative hit points. That is a common misconception, actually. So it doesn't have to get from negative 18 to negative 20 to die. If you are not brought in one hit to that amount, it is just a failed death saving throw, or if it's a melee hit against you, an automatic critical hit, and two automatic failed death saves. So uh, that's what happens when a creature goes to zero hit points. Now let's start talking about how to help a creature that is at zero hit points. So the easiest option would be if you have any form of magical healing available, then regardless of how many death saving throws they've had to do up to that point, they are just automatically cleared away and they are conscious with however many hit points the heal spell does to them. So you can have a character at two death saving throw failures that is imminently about to die. And if you can get a heal spell cast on them for eight hit points, then they are conscious with eight hit points. And even if they get knocked out again, having been conscious, even if only briefly, resets the death saving throws. Also, if you don't have access to healing magic, there are actually a couple of things you can do. Uh, There is the healer feat that is able to occasionally heal creatures around you but using up reagents in order to do so instead of spell slots Uh, also any creature is able to roll a medicine check which if they succeed at the dc 10 roll automatically stabilizes the character so they don't have to roll any more death saving throw failures but are still unconscious now a creature that is stable just automatically regains one hit point after 1d4 hours. So they are very much not safe, but not having to make any more death saving throws is still a very useful thing. Uh, Also, in the event that a stabilized creature gets attacked again, then that does unfortunately make them have to start making death saving throws once again. So I mentioned a couple of times that this is the rules for player characters now there is enormous enormous misconception let's say about what happens with monsters so i'm actually going to just read the sentence directly from the player's handbook about monsters and death because it is fascinating to me Most DMs have a monster die the instant it drops to zero hit points rather than having it fall unconscious and make death-saving throws. Mighty villains and special non-player characters are common exceptions. The DM might have them fall unconscious and follow the same rules as player characters. Now, Nathan, do you see what's interesting about that sentence? So in general, that would be like most enemies, most mooks and stuff dying upon hitting zero but like basically any big bats and um other such leveled enemies would be able to survive such a would would not die instantly yes 
But the phrasing of this caught my attention because of a rather interesting thing. It doesn't say monsters die when they get to zero hit points. It says most DMs have a monster die the instant it drops to zero hit points. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it true? It's the night. Yeah, but it would be a nightmare to like manage. Exactly, and that's the reason why. Because as is a common saying through our episodes, it might actually be a potential t-shirt saying, should we get to that point? Any rule that reduces the amount of math a DM has to do is a good thing. (laughs) So damn near all monsters will just die when they get to zero hit points because otherwise for every monster on the field the dm would have to keep track of death saving throws and if someone is unconscious are there any damage fields in effect that they would have to keep track of for the monster it just creates a lot more math for the dm to keep track of yeah i can imagine like somebody running a perhaps a battle on a battlefield and imagine the number of enemies like just coming in and going out and having to manage all that it'd be a bloody nightmare true but to play devil's advocate for a moment it also does mean though that it's much more difficult to purposefully knock a creature unconscious so the rules in the player's handbook to knock a creature out says that it has to basically be declared that you're knocking them out when you reduce a creature to zero hit points in melee. So you're totally unable to knock someone unconscious at range, by spells, you just can't. So not having the monsters instantly die at zero and rather having them go unconscious does create more incentive for your players to leave people alive that they face. Because generally speaking, players are going to take the path of least resistance, and if it's easier to kill them, they'll kill them. If it takes no more effort, well, then that might create the argument of should we kill them or should we just knock them out or capture them? Yes, that definitely seems to be the case with uh, such a scenario since it's a much more... No, since it's much more easy to uh, just simply knock out the opponent, it, it would definitely play a part in the player's decision to whether whether or not to kill the enemies. Exactly. And deciding as a DM whether you want your creatures to die at zero hit points or whether you're willing to keep track of the extra, well, keep track of the extra math and just keep track of all the extra monsters, I will admit I actually am one of those who does the latter because as regular listeners of this can probably realize by now, I like math, and I think that it can make for more interesting situations and moral quandaries, and I'm willing to just do the extra work for that. But at the same time, if you regularly have encounters with a dozen creatures on the field, well, an argument can definitely be made that it's not worth it. So whether it is or is not worth it is definitely a thing that all DMs should think about and make a decision on before they sit down to play. Indeed. So, now that we've talked about how the rules of Death and Dying works in Dungeons & Dragons, we're actually going to take a bit of a curve, and now we're going to talk about some of the implications of how death works in your world. And what I mean by that is Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition is a game that has readily available resurrection. There are multiple spells at even relatively early to medium levels that give the... 
Okay, so uh, with the various forms of resurrection magic available, it's worth thinking about how do you want resurrection to work in your world? Are you going to run it just by the book, or are you going to homebrew in some complications? In regards to complications, well, in the world of Riftwake, in the case of Riftwake, currently, as of now, there is no magic that can revive anyone. And if there will be, and if there is, it's most likely extremely primitive. In my own world, it is so high magic that resurrection has actually become so common that the god of death has actually slowed down the processing of the afterlife to basically make a waiting room for 10 days just to see whether compatriots of the dead person will resurrect them in that time because it's actually less work for the bureaucracy of death to just wait that 10-day period than to try to deal with all the souls going back and forth. Well, that's rather interesting. Well, I mean, if you actually look at the economics of D&D and the amount of gold that a party has available, by the time they actually get fifth level and up, it's really not out there for them to have the funds available to have someone hired to do a resurrection if that is a service you have available in your world. So once you just get to that point and you accept that death is common and fixable, well, that also creates some interesting social repercussions, potentially. If you just are talking to the bartender, like, yeah, we'll have bar fights occasionally, but I've only died a handful of times this year, so it's a plus from last. (laughs) Just think about how permanent do you want death to be in the world, and that shapes how the world reacts to it. Because in D&D in general, people tend to just kill what they're fighting a lot, whether they really need to kill them or not. It's often just the most expedient. So if you have a world where resurrection is less of a thing or just not a thing, well, then just like our world, life is considered to be a precious thing, and that's not okay. On the other hand, it could be a situation where in a more high magic world where resurrection is easy, that, yeah, most people you talk to have died at least once, and most people will just die of old age. In which case, that also means that the legal system, if there is such a thing, could be built very, very differently. And that death is just punishable by a fine for enough to resurrect them, while trauma or dismemberment, like things that create, quote, lasting issues, would be far more punishable than actual death. So deciding on exactly how death works in your world is worth thinking about in more than one way. One thing that does come to mind in a case where revival is easy um, is that murder wouldn't be such a tempting thing, to be honest, because people who die don't actually stay dead. Henceforth, generally speaking, murder becomes somewhat pointless at times. Yeah, so there could actually be cultural shifts in the world where murder could go back and forth between just eh, not worth the trouble, or just so common because it's very fixable. So you can be in a period of, quote, peace, just because everyone knows it's so easy to fix the deaths. And another thing that would be interesting about easy resurrection is that that makes rivalries and, well, villains 
all the more common. Because if you just go after a bandit camp and kill the leader and then leave, well, if it's someone who was a successful bandit, then they might have the wealth in reserve to have a contingency in place to resurrect them. And then you have another enemy out there in the world. And if they are able to rebuild their empire, then that creates a rather interesting enemy. I'm just thinking right now, right? Imagine um, instead of a case where, uh, for example, you have a couple of kids playing and then some kid pushes another kid, the guy falls and unfortunately hits his head, conks out and unfortunately dies. It would be a case where, Mom, John killed Jack again. Call the cleric. Ah, bloody hell. Do you know how much I have to spend every single month reviving your brother? I mean, to be fair, that would probably be out of the range for most commoners, but hopefully any city of sufficient size should have a, you know, cleric or three on hold. But what's all, But think about the world consequences of that kind of thing. Like workplace deaths would be an accident. Uh, you know, children dying from the many, many situations that they stumble into. Just there would be no more accidental deaths in the long run. That would mean that your population would boom explosively. But on the other hand, it is a more dangerous world with more things trying to kill you. So there's that. So another fun thought in a world with more accessible resurrection would mean that even in the event of a PC death, that that actually gives a DM the opportunity to have an enemy of the party choose to resurrect them to try to get more information or just, no, 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 they had it too easy. I want them back and I want them to hurt. Well, that got dark. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the point being that in a world of high resurrection, it gives you more opportunities that even if the party doesn't have the ability, that doesn't mean that their allies or enemies won't necessarily have some incentive to bring back a party member. So in the event of PC deaths, you could have a TPK and then the party just wakes up with the grinning face of, I'll just stick with this example, of the bandit captain that they failed to kill and just, you owe me now. You're going to do some things for me or you're going to get the long death. It, it honestly seems like one of those really dumb things like the that guy monologue, but I can see that happening. I mean, if someone is a bandit captain, they're probably not someone known for good life choices. I mean, mm. more money than sense would be appropriate there. But anyway, uh, I think that uh, that'll do it for today. Thanks for listening to Death and Dying. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where you will be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit at the subreddit r slash Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye!
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.